Kia ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Program. I'm Philippa Tolley and this week, fish dumping and cameras. How much commercial catch is discarded and what's being done to prevent it has been the focus of much debate. Environmentalists claim the agency in charge of policing our fishery is too cosy with commercial operators and has been turning a blind eye to breaches. MPI rejects this and at the same time fishers say they're being unfairly targeted. Insight attempts to find out where the truth lies and whether putting cameras on the entire fleet will help clean up the industry. We want to be able to have a set of laws that we operate under which are practical and fit for purpose. And, and current legislation doesn't give us that. I mean, it would be very, very difficult for any inshore fisherman in New Zealand today to go to sea and not commit a technical offence. The rules fishers are forced to play by, the quota management system, were introduced 30 years ago. They require them to pay big money in return for the right to catch a set number of fish of a certain species and size. But commercial fishers say while it looks good on paper, they have little control over what they pull up in their nets and many are forced to illegally dump undersized fish or those they don't have a quota for. The system was set up to ensure sustainable fishing and is publicly lauded by those in charge. We have a, a world-leading fisheries management regime here in New Zealand. We have a excellent science system that underpins the regime. Um, we have a robust fisheries management system and compliance. But internally, disquiet about how the system is actually working is being expressed at the top levels within the Ministry for Primary Industries. An email from its Director of Fisheries Management, David Turner, released last year, suggests that over half of the inshore fleet was probably guilty of dumping fish, and this was having an impact on fish stocks. Despite this, in the past 12 years, only 28 commercial operators have been prosecuted for dumping. They say all sorts of nice things publicly about sustainability. Internally, they know that it's a complete sham, and their emails show that. Um, but they don't do anything about it because they're captured by the fishing industry. I'm Conan Young and this insight explores the extent of fish dumping and whether new monitoring plans will make any difference. Are cameras watching every move of fishers the answer? Or is the government relying too heavily on whiz-bang technology instead of asking much harder questions such as is the quota management system still fit for purpose? One of those critical of the way the fishery has been managed is Auckland University researcher Glenn Simmons. I met him down at Auckland's viaduct where trawlers and long line vessels plying the Hauraki Gulf unload their catch each day. Dr Simmons was part of an international study involving Oxford and British Columbia universities which investigated catch rates over a 60 year period. It suggested that since the introduction of the quota management system in 1986, the number of fish landed was actually twice what had officially been recorded. Most of these were dumped back in the sea. Dr Simmons says far from ensuring the sustainability of the fishery, the quota management system actually incentivises fish dumping. If you're going to restrict a fisherman's catch and he's, he has to pay for the, 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 the right or for the quota to catch that fish, uh, he's going to make sure that he lands the most valuable fish and the least valuable or, or non-valuable fish he's going to get rid of. He's not going to report it. 
He says the Director of Fisheries Management, David Turner, isn't the first person at MPI to raise alarm bells, at least internally, about fish dumping. He points to a report from 2008 from the then National Investigations Manager, Sean Driscoll. He criticised the ministry and the culture for basically ignoring the significant levels of discarding and misreporting and that something needed to be done, but nothing would be done until there was a cultural shift within fisheries management. Concerns were raised at the same time by yet another senior fisheries manager. He had agreement from uh, compliance, policy, fisheries management and science recommending a comprehensive review because it wasn't working. And of course that fell into a bit of a black hole. What came out of that was the discard working group, but they still haven't come up with any solutions. So how does Dr Simmons respond to the Ministry for Primary Industries stance the quota system is world leading? The problem is so big that to actually go public and, and admit that our world leading, so-called world leading, is a quota management system is a failure is just too big for them to deal with. So it's better to turn a blind eye and, and publicly deny there is an issue, but internally it's an open secret. MPI's Manager of Aquaculture and Fisheries Policy, Andrew Hill, insists MPI is doing a good job of enforcing the rules around dumping. He gave examples of how the system works. If you catch a female rock lobster that's carrying eggs and berry, then uh, that rock lobster has to be released back into the sea. If you catch a, a shark that's still alive and that has uh, low value for you and will potentially take your, taint your commercial catch um, with ammonia, then you are allowed to release that shark back into the water. And I think we'd all agree that, that releasing that shark alive back into the water or releasing that female rock lobster in berry um, is a good outcome for, for the environment and for sustainability. So yes, yeah, we're, not, we're not talking about female rock lobster and, and, and shark, though, are we? The majority of, of discarding will happen with undersized terakee, for example. Um, that, that's the majority, isn't it? Um, so there are um, undersized. Uh, there are minimum legal sizes for for some species, and those species um, are required to be returned to the sea. For other species where there's no minimum legal size set, then, then fishers are obligated to return that fish, to, to land that fish and to retain it on board their vessel. That, that's the rule, um, and that's what they will be held to. Mr Hill maintains our quota management system, with sustainability of the fishery as its main aim, is based on robust science. The New Zealand quota management system and our fisheries management system has been reviewed um, you know, on a regular basis, and it is found who, to be one by? of the... Oh, there are a number of um, reports that we can that we can provide you with. Well, well, can you think of one at the moment? We'll get back to you on a range of uh, reports that have been done. But you can't name a single report at the, at the moment. Um, there's been a study undertaken by Ray Hillborn, and we can find you the reference for that. I'm standing outside the Birdcage Hotel in Auckland. It's the venue tonight for a talk being hosted by Sanford Fisheries. It's the intriguing title of Can We Do More? It involves what's been called a conversation between Sanford Chief Executive Volker Kunch and a Ray Hillborn. And it's the same Ray Hillborn that MPI quotes when it says that overseas experts have rated New Zealand's fishery as being world leading. Let's go and see what they have to say. 
Mr Hilborn is an academic from Washington University who receives 20% of his funding from the fishing industry. As part of his talk, he mentioned the study where he and others named New Zealand as being in the top five countries in the world for sustainable fisheries management. Afterwards, he told me the report consulted five experts with a diverse set of backgrounds. It turns out three of the five are industry consultants, while a fourth works for MPI. Auckland University's Glenn Simmons says this calls into question the study's validity, which is based mostly on the opinions of people who depend on the industry for their incomes. Ray Hilborn, who maintains fish stocks worldwide are generally in good health, told the audience regulators such as MPI had a good handle on the state of their fisheries. He told me about the problems he had with the Glenn Simmons study, finding massive under-reporting of fish dumping. The people at MPI and the people at NIWA who do the assessments, I mean, they will spend months trying to estimate what the catch has been. And uh, I think that Simmons is just fooling himself if he thinks that by interviewing 300 people and then extrapolating a bunch of numbers, he can do a better job than, the, than, than all the scientific effort that goes into each of these individual assessments. He said fish stocks were nowhere near as dire as Greenpeace was making out. I mean, that's how groups like Greenpeace raise funds, is by scaring the public. And, you know, whether it's GMOs or uh, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's the oceans dying, uh, that's their modus operandi. My experience, they have the, some of the worst science ever seen. I mean, I, you know, I mean, obviously got a problem with Greenpeace because they've publicly attacked me. But um, yeah, their their science is—they don't do science, and they just basically look for stuff that will support their alarmist position. The following day, I meet Greenpeace's New Zealand director, Russell Norman, at the Auckland fish market and put to him Ray Hilborn's claim about Greenpeace's motivations. He says people don't need to take his word for it, they just need to read MPI's own internal emails. Well, I mean, it's about the evidence. MPI's own internal documents show that the fishing industry are dumping half of the fish that they catch. So those reports were leaked to the media and leaked to Greenpeace and others um, because they show such damaging practices. Russell Norman says the public deserve better from the people entrusted to safeguard the sustainability of the country's fish stocks. When you go to buy any kind of food, mostly what you're relying on is the government regulators to do their job, to protect the sustainability of the fishery and to protect consumers' health by making sure there's not chemicals and all the rest of it in the food. So we simply as consumers can't go around and check everything for ourselves. We rely, we rely on government regulators and the problem here is that the government regulator is working for the fishing industry, not the people of New Zealand. So when people come to this fish market, they can't have any confidence that MPI have ensured that any of these fish have been caught sustainably. So what does MPI's David Turner have to say about his 2014 email indicating widespread fish dumping? Mr Turner attended the Sanford talk and while he initially declined to address the contents of his email, suggesting half of the inshore fleet might be dumping fish, when pressed he had this to say. We have the Future of Our Fisheries program underway, and that is reviewing all that we do in the way we manage our fisheries. We have the Integrated Electronic Monitoring Reporting System underway, that is going to address some other issues. We are ahead of the curve, we're getting on top of the game. There is the public face of MPI, you talk about having a world class system, but I mean, it's not just your email, I mean, we've had, I think it was in 2008, 
there was a, um, another MPI manager, he said that, that the industry was uh, had an overbearing approach to MPI and the MBI was under a lot of pressure from industry. Uh, we've also had fish discarding has been raised as an issue by MPI previously. We've even set up a working party to try and get on top of it. And it is an issue, isn't it? MPI is an independent regulator. Okay, we have three sectors, three stakeholders that we regulate. We independently regulate New Zealand fisheries. You would acknowledge that fish discarding is an issue? In any fisher in the world, there is discarding happening. But I mean, according to you, on quite a widespread basis in New Zealand? We have strong information and strong evidence that wholesale discarding, as claimed by the, by the report you're referring to, does not occur at that level. What I'm saying is some level of discarding happens as it happens in every fishery across the world. MPI is pinning its hopes for a better monitored system on cameras on fishing boats as a way to ensure the public and valuable overseas markets that our industry is playing by the rules. So what difference could they make? MPI is now consulting with the industry on a plan to phase them in on every vessel in New Zealand waters from October next year. It last year ordered a trial of the technology on boats plying the valuable North Island fishery known as Snapper One. MPI rejected a bid to run the trial from the independent market leader, the Canadian company Archipelago. Instead, the trial was run by Trident Systems, a company wholly owned by the fishing industry, including Sanford. Oh, we're about to get on board and have a look at the camera installation. You can actually see it just down here to my right, the um, camera's on that, that bar above the hauling station. So we're about to come on board, we'll go into the wheelhouse and we'll have a look at the the live footage so we can actually see what's, what that covers and what that covers. The team on board are just binning up and getting some ice and bait on board ready to head away later this morning. So yeah, we'll catch them just before they get away. Let's go have a look. The general manager of Sanford Fisheries, Colin Williams, takes me for a tour of a long-lining vessel involved in the Snapper One trial. It's had cameras installed to look out for captures of endangered black petrels in the baited lines the boats use to catch fish. The captain is already required to keep a logbook and detail every case of where a petrol is caught, meaning the cameras are only there as a backstop. Statistically, in our own records, we find very low interactions, but um, unfortunately when you have a low interaction number, it's not always believed by everybody, so this provides independent verification. Colin Williams says there's no opportunity for the crew to tamper with the cameras. As part of the trial, Trident puts together summaries of the footage it gathers, accounting for 30% of the total amount shot across the entire fishery. These are then given to MPI. The reviews are focused on the hauling and sorting of the fish as opposed to what's happening outside that window. So it's definitely focused on what's actually happening on board the vessel at the most critical times. But MPI has access to all of the footage at any time. I'm next taken by Trident's chief executive, David Middleton, to view footage gathered on another long-line vessel while fish are being brought aboard. It provides a good demonstration that even the cameras are somewhat limited in their ability to capture everything that goes on. How do the birds actually get caught in the line? Oh, we can just see there the um, fisherman, what's he doing there with the camera? So he's um, just giving the, the lens of the camera a wipe for us. And so the camera in this case, it, as, as we saw this morning, is out on an arm off the side of a vessel. So it's quite vulnerable to getting spots of water on it. So we rely on the crew 
um, wiping the lens, keeping it clean, in order for us to effectively undertake video observation. So th there's quite a high degree of cooperation required with the vessel's crew to make video observation a viable activity. As well as identifying whether black petrels have been captured in long lines, the other part of the Snapper 1 trial involves cameras on trawlers, hauling in large nets full of fish to monitor fish size and species. Critics say this is more problematic. They say it's extremely difficult to tell the size of fish or their species when they're in a net with thousands of other fish and that MPI is aware of this. So where else can New Zealand look to for an example of how cameras are being used successfully? The first place in the world to introduce them was British Columbia in Canada, which installed them on its entire long-line fishing fleet in 2006. I called one of the foremost experts on the system there, the former Department of Fisheries and Oceans researcher Rick Stanley, and asked him how successful it had been. Only a portion of the footage is actually analysed, but just like speed cameras, the chance of getting caught is often enough to deter fishers from breaking the rules. Those found with footage that doesn't marry up to the information they've been keeping in their logbooks are given a number of chances to improve. Once uh, you know, it's considered not just a random event, but you have a track record of this, not just the last trip, then that's when they're given their first notification they have to pay for a 100% review of that trip. And then it escalates from there to, well, we've given up on you. You just have to pay for an observer to be on your boat for every trip. And I right. don't think that's ever happened to this day. Well, there oh, was wow. <laughs> so no one has had an observer forced on them for, through repeat offending? No. There are limits, however, as far as the ability of the cameras to distinguish between the 40 different species of rockfish in the waters off British Columbia. This is important as fishers pay good money for quota for a handful of species but may end up catching a variety on their lines. Rick Stanley says it was the fishers themselves who came up with a solution to the problem. So the fishermen up front came to the next meeting and said, fine, since they're going to die anyways, we'll bring them all in. And now each fisherman has to bring them all in. Well, they'll be sorted at dockside. But the funny thing was, I said at the meeting, and I said, you know, if one of the government people had suggested that, you would have said, oh, well, we don't have room on our boat. You know, it's, it's totally impractical. Um, but you guys think of it and it's OK. But Mr Stanley says in order for their system to work, it's vital the company operating the cameras is independent from industry. It's not necessarily that fishermen or the fishing industry are dishonest or anything, but in the end you want, I think, third-party independent. Um, for one reason, just the optics. The public out there wants to know the fishery is managed and studied well and properly. They're going to be reluctant to believe that, you know, if the fox is guarding the henhouse kind of logic. Plus, there's been a history a bit in BC where we tried to, in the old days in the trawl fishery, rely on, our, on the factory slips of how much fish was caught and that simply didn't work. Back in New Zealand, it appears MPI may be coming to the same conclusion. When asked about perceptions Trident has a conflict of interest, MPI managers have all talked about the fact next year's final rollout will look very different to the trial involving the industry-owned operator. For his part, Trident's chairperson, Jeremy Fleming, says despite built-in safeguards to ensure the integrity of the footage it's providing to MPI, its links to industry are likely to have cost it the chance to be part of the ongoing programme of electronic monitoring. IMERS and the, and the use of electronic reporting will only be successful if industry, both quota owners and fishers, are involved in the design and implementation of systems. 
if that doesn't happen, if the, the system's imposed, um, the chances of it failing for various reasons are quite high, or coming at a much higher cost or much with a great deal of delay. And Trident could help because we've accumulated a lot of experience in the last year and a half, which is directly relevant. So it'd be nice to think that Trident has a role to play. So what would happen if cameras were put on the entire fishing fleet and are fishers prepared for this level of monitoring? The net finishes up on that net roller there. Um, there's a big bag of fish in theory if they've caught a bit and done their job right. Um, could how, be, how many fish are sort of on oh, a good, could good be, day? Could be two or three tonne for yep. a shot, which could be potentially three or four thousand fish. Um, finishes up in this big stainless steel holding bin here. Um, could be a pile that high. Tony Threadwell operates five trawlers out of Littleton. As an inshore fisherman, he says he has little control over what his nets pull up, which can often mean 30 different species in a single catch. The rules say undersized quota fish, such as barracuda, which he can't sell, must be brought back to shore. While he's reluctant to talk about it, Tony Threadwell says this just isn't practical or economically viable for most fishers. It would be very, very difficult for any inshore fisherman in New Zealand today to go to sea and not commit a technical offence. And that's just ridiculous. There really needs to be some commitment from, from government, in conjunction with industry, to sit down around the table and sort out some of these problems that have been inherent in the system since 1986. And these are problems that can be resolved. I mean, there needs to be much more flexible TAC setting, and there needs to be a, a credible and practical discards policy that allows us to, to, to continue to work in an environment without breaking the law. Another inshore fisher operating out of Littleton, Andrew Stark, says some catch or TAC limits haven't changed since the quota management system was introduced 30 years ago, and this needs to change. He says it's hard for fishers to talk about what is really going on in this sector for fear they'll be prosecuted, but most know the rules around dumping are not working. Fishermen have only ever bought home fish, which they are going to be paid for. So the discard rules are such that fish which is under minimum legal size must be returned, uh, which can be a frustration if we believe that we could economically land that fish, we're not allowed to. And you could have a species which doesn't have a minimum legal size, and it could be the size of a small ballpoint pen, and legally that should be landed. It was never landed prior to the quota system, and in most cases that doesn't come home today. Both fishers believe introducing cameras before what they described as a broken quota management system is sorted out would be a mistake that would unfairly penalise fishers like them. Auckland University's Glenn Simmons says they're right to be nervous. Particularly those who, who fish in, in mixed fisheries, that is going to have a significant economic impact on their ability to, to turn a profit. And I think if the cameras are monitored correctly, it's complemented with observer coverage, we will definitely see half the fleet go out of business. Wow, so this isn't just a hypothetical, that this, this could actually happen, do you think, if it was properly monitored? Yes, and that's not only my view, but that is the view of a considerable number of officials from within MPI and, and former officials. Greenpeace's Russell Norman remains sceptical about MPI's willingness to really crack down on dumping. He points to its past record when it comes to cameras and its failure to prosecute when fish dumping was uncovered in an early trial. 
This involved cameras operated by a non-industry player, Archipelago. MPI ran a, ran a trial. They ran one company, Archipelago, an independent company. Uh, their video cameras versus Trident, a New Zealand fishing industry-owned company that was running um, cameras. And what they came back and found was that Archipelago, the independent video company, found lots of illegal behaviour, dumping, killing of Hector's dolphins, not reporting it, and Trident came back and found nothing whatsoever. And so MPI's next step was to award the contract for videos in Snapper 1 to Trident. Um, obviously because Trident passed the test, they found nothing, and that's what MPI wanted. Uh, so uh, it's very hard to think that MPI, with many of the same people, is going to behave in good faith given their past history. An independent inquiry by Michael Herring QC found MPI's decision not to prosecute the breaches in this case was flawed but understandable given the complexities surrounding the breaches. An option being looked at by MPI as part of a wider review of the quota management system is a no-discarding rule where fishers would be required to land everything they caught. One place that already has this rule is Iceland. I spoke to visiting Icelandic academic and former fisher Ogmunda Knudsen. He said a key ingredient behind the policy's success was the simultaneous setting up of a special research fund to work out ways to make better use of the fish being landed. What happens is, is that you're allowed to take aside the undersized fish. It's sold on the auction market and uh, around one third goes to the company and the crew for the salary for the crew and two-thirds goes to the fund, supporting increased value from seafood. So the companies can apply into that fund with resource institutions and work on a project to increase the value from the, from the cuts. Bergminder Knudsen says the no-discard rule has helped to rescue stocks of cod. Where fishers were only pulling in 150,000 tonnes before the rule was brought in, they were now catching 250,000 tonnes. And he says making the most of everything they catch means that for some species, the fillet is now the least valuable part of the fish. Like the liver goes into high-quality cod liver. You can use the skin in leather, in, in, in producing collagen or, or other issues. You can use withdraw enzyme from the intestines for pharmaceutical issues or, and things like that. So and this has been done in a good collaboration with the industry, resource institutions and, and the technical companies. Back here, the Minister for Primary Industries, Nathan Guy, says New Zealand is doing more with what comes off fish. But he says while a no-discarding rule is being looked at as part of a wider review of the quota management system, there are problems with this. If you caught all of the fish and it was low value and you didn't have a market for it, effectively you're taking it out of the sea and putting it in the landfill. I don't think anyone wants that. And he says while changes are needed, fundamentally the system we have is a good one. If you have a look at three or four international reports, they've all put it up on a pedestal. The Columbia University and Canada ranked it as one out of 41 fishing countries. The World Bank and Marine Policy Journal ranked at about one out of 53 countries. Mr Guy says cameras will make our world-leading system even better. This will be a very important part of shifting the debate and having better regulatory systems because we'll have the eyes and ears on every vessel. This will be the biggest rollout of electronic reporting in any fishery in the world, and I'm hugely excited about it. The Minister says no decision has yet been made on which company will operate the cameras, but the process will address any conflicts of interest, real or perceived. 
I'm Conan Young and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. Conan Young wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by Dan Bevan. If you'd like to podcast this insight or other programmes, head to iTunes or your Android provider where you can listen, subscribe, rate and review us or visit the Insight webpage at radionz.co.nz. Thanks for listening.